the cluster of experiences that gets labeled as depression is a pretty common human experience. Whether we might experience it very briefly during challenging life transitions, such as death or loss or trauma, or if it becomes a more pervasive, longer-lasting experience, humans have grappled with this for eons. And there are loads of theories about what depression is, how it develops, how we might want to grapple with it. Our modern mental health system often encourages us to understand clinical depression as symptoms that need to be managed, fixed, or eradicated. And as someone who's worked in the mental health system, I know that this particular view doesn't always work for everyone. In this episode, I want to explore the idea that depression holds messages and clues. That, of course, we might naturally desire this experience to end, but one of the pathways through depression that one might choose is gleaning some of its gifts, its signals, and its messages for us, allowing ourselves to be changed through the process of it, and certainly not internalizing it as something that is wrong with us or with who we are. Every person who has struggled with depression has experienced it slightly differently than anyone else. And so holding that multiplicity, I want to talk about some of the potential messages and signs and signals that depression may hold for us. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here, so let's dive in. Human beings and cultures and communities have been grappling with how do we understand and deal with depression for so long. And I want to start from a place of looking at depression, not as clinical depression in its current form, as a relatively kind of new clinical entity, but rather looking at the nuances within depression, the things that get labeled as depression, such as a lack of motivation, Deep mourning or grief or despair, emptiness, dread, numbness, all different kinds of dissociation, feelings of meaninglessness. All of these things are things that anyone might experience at any time and are part of the human experience. Now, of course, people experience these things to much greater or lesser degrees for short periods of time or extended periods of time. And With all of these nuances within what gets labeled as depression, I've noticed as someone who's worked in the mental health system, often with people who are diagnosed with clinical depression, that we don't leave a lot of room within Western culture and society to understand these experiences for ourselves. Pretty early on, when people have these types of experiences, we often slap them with labels, with pharmaceutical or medical interventions, which are certainly not bad and certainly may work for some people. But a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists agree that our current way of understanding these very human, real experiences by pathologizing them and reducing them as symptoms of a disease to be eradicated 
can be quite unhelpful for large groups of people. This idea that these experiences of grief, despair, emptiness, dread, numbness, dissociation, meaninglessness, all these things, the idea that these are solely or even predominantly the result of a chemical imbalance, a theory that is rife with all kinds of theoretical and scientific issues. And if you're interested in learning more about the research and history behind the chemical imbalance theory and why it has been debunked by researchers many times, you can listen to episode four of this podcast. But a lot of folks in the field now can agree that it's time to really widen and expand our view and understanding of depression. Because while there may be a biological component to it, very often our experiences of grief and loss, despair, emptiness, dread, all of these things interact with ourselves, our communities, our institutions, our lives, our society in ways that can become erased when we choose to just understand these experiences as something that needs to be eradicated or that's unhelpful. There are also lots of researchers and theorists who would argue that the theory or the conventional belief of depression as symptoms of a biomedical brain disease as something that should be eliminated or eradicated is a framework that's really rooted within capitalism that is intended to keep us quote-unquote functional and good workers or producers. But a lot of psychiatrists, psychologists, and cultures across the world have thought differently. Not that we shouldn't desire these deeply painful experiences to end, but that by suppressing it or treating only symptoms with techniques or strategies or methods that prevent us from experiencing the full range of our emotions can actually do the opposite. It can actually keep us more stuck. Does that mean that medication is never helpful or that depression never has a biological component? Absolutely not. That's all part of the nuance. And quite honestly, I like to think of it as harm reduction at times when people do need to just find ways to continue on in their lives because for a whole slew of reasons, maybe houselessness or poverty or all kinds of different things, people are not supported and desire or need interventions that can help them in preventing a full-on breakdown. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What I want to bring in though is the idea that experiences of depression can be in some way generative or in some way a pathway to transformation. And I've actually seen this quite a bit when I worked in the mental health system, often with children and teens and families who were going through really intense experiences, trauma, crises, folks who were going in and out of the inpatient unit. I've often found that depression is very often a signal that there is something in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our society that needs to change, that needs to shift, that's not working for us. And I think when we look at the numbers of people that are currently being diagnosed specifically with depression, clinical depression, this diagnostic net has gotten wider and wider and wider. So that may account for some of it in terms of it's now easier 
with our diagnostic criteria now to be diagnosable with depression than it ever has been. But beyond diagnostic criteria changing over the years, or more and more people perhaps turning to psychiatrists for support, I think more than that, we live in a culture that very often doesn't support our underlying basic fundamental needs and that we're being inundated with more and more areas of potential stress as a society. So again, not only is our definition of what's a normal amount of grief or despair or dissociation or meaninglessness, not only is that changing and some would argue a over-medicalizing of normal, but in addition to that, human beings are facing massive amounts of stressors and facing social isolation, dislocation, loneliness, and so many other things that can contribute to our experiences of depression. I myself have struggled with both short, acute, and long, drawn-out experiences of depression. And back when I was 17, actually did get a diagnosis of depression. And over the years, have really thought through some of the roots of what I would consider to be the main causes or roots of depression for myself. And these might certainly might not be the same for everyone, but I've found that there are multiple reasons, multiple factors that stack in terms of why we might face depression. But not only are there multiple factors, there are also multiple messages or pathways through that depression that the single overarching narrative of depression as symptoms to be eradicated might not really help us work or move through this experience. Some of these roots for me have been moving through trauma, nervous system overwhelm, underlying physiological issues like autoimmune disease and inflammation, or even reactions to medication like birth control. Other factors have been existential crises or a misalignment of values, basic needs not being met, and living within a toxic society or culture, and spiritual awakenings. So if any of these factors resonate with you in any way, keep listening because I'm going to go through each of these and kind of talk about what these have meant in my life, how I've seen them in other ways when I've worked with clients, and just in general, some of the messages that depression can reveal to us. But before I go there, I want to share with you a quote by Thomas More, who's a psychologist who wrote the book Care of the Soul. And in this book, he really talks about some of the inherent value of depression. And again, when we talk about the value of something, it's not to say that we wouldn't prefer if that experience was not there. It's not to invalidate the very real suffering of it. But that is to say that there is value in the experience itself in terms of how it transforms us. And so he says, as a psychologist, I don't try to eradicate problems. I try not to imagine my role to be that of exterminator. Rather, I try to give what is problematical back to the person in a way that shows its necessity, even its value. 
When people observe the ways in which the soul is manifesting itself, they are enriched rather than impoverished. They receive back what is theirs, the very thing that they have assumed to be so horrible that it should be cut out and tossed away. When you regard the soul with an open mind, you begin to find the messages that lie within the illness, the corrections that can be found in remorse and other uncomfortable feelings, and the necessary changes requested by depression and anxiety, end quote. That idea has never left me, the idea of necessary changes requested. For me, that has been so true to my experience of depression in particular, but I would argue madness as a whole, anything that gets labeled as abnormal, intense, or extreme emotions. At the core of it, for me, there has been necessary changes requested. Those necessary changes may be things that I can change myself in my life, but they may be changes that are far more communal and societal as well. Moore also has an entire chapter in this book titled The Gifts of Depression, in which he says, the emptiness and dissolution of meaning that are often present in depression show how attached we can become to our ways of understanding and explaining our lives. Often our personal philosophies and our values seem to be all too neatly wrapped, leaving little room for mystery. Depression comes along and then opens up a hole. Depression makes holes in our theories and assumptions, but even this painful process can be honored as a necessary and valuable source of healing. And I have certainly found this to be true. The idea of depression or madness as soul work. If we are willing to, to some small degree, sit with the feeling, the sensation of it, or ask, what is this experience asking of me or requiring of me? Can I let what needs to die, die within me? Can I allow myself to mourn? Can I be with the numbness, the meaninglessness? Because maybe my old ways of trying to make meaning or ways of storying my life and who I am or who I'm becoming don't work anymore. Or maybe the context, communities, institutions, society that I live within is not working, is not nourishing me. Maybe there are ways that I can understand myself in context that starts to meet more of my needs. And I do believe on a fundamental level that increasing our tolerance for the whole spectrum of emotion is really helpful, that we glean a lot of wisdom from our bodies when we can witness our pain and not run or hide or quell it. But I'm going to give a huge caveat here because even though increasing this tolerance is important, this kind of reflection or being with ourselves really isn't supported in our current society and particularly within our current mental health system. And our capacity to do this, to be with ourselves in this way or to be with the feelings or the sensations is absolutely dependent on the resources that we have available to us at the time. And for some of us who may not be getting our very, very basic human needs met, this is far more challenging. And I would never advocate for sitting in pain to tough it out or to build character or as a form of self-punishment. I just want to be super clear about that because I advocate for what I would call depth work or this work of being with ourselves in the pain, but doing that in tandem with expanding our 
community resource net at the same time with giving ourselves the grace or sometimes our bodies will do it for us through dissociation to not engage in depth work. And so being able to weave in and out of what I like to call depth work and width work, I have an episode on this as well. It's episode seven of this podcast, kind of learning to weave in and out of this and not blow through our capacity for this work and to be really gentle with ourselves in this. And as I talk about some of the messages of depression or perhaps even some of the gifts of depression, I never say this in a Pollyanna type of everything happens for a reason kind of way because that isn't what I feel or believe. What I do trust is that our bodies are wise and that depression is both an emotional and physiological response to things that our bodies are experiencing. And our bodies aren't operating in a vacuum, that our bodies are more than our brain chemistry and more than our personality, that our bodies are responding to the world around us. And so the question that has always been quite interesting to me, particularly when it comes to depression, is what is my body trying to tell me? What is the message behind these signals? The signal of loss of motivation, deep grief or mind-numbing despair, or dread dissociation, the void, all of it. I'm going to go through those seven potential messages that I mentioned earlier, starting with depression as a signal that we are processing unhealed trauma. To this day, I can definitely say that I have never met a trauma survivor who didn't at some point experience massive, painful, challenging bouts of depression. Even if you look at some of the symptomology of PTSD or complex PTSD, there's a huge overlap between that and symptoms of what gets labeled as clinical depression. And so when we are actively in trauma processing, we might be experiencing very low lows because our bodies are trying to purge and come to terms with nearly impossible pain, whether that's childhood abuse or loss of community or institutional violence. There are so many different types of trauma. And I also want to place here that there are times where I have been with folks in really intense bouts of depression who may not have considered themselves trauma survivors, and it is never a requirement that anyone considers themselves trauma survivors, but that I prefer to have a fairly expansive view of trauma. Not to say that every experience is trauma, but to say that trauma looks very differently in everyone's lives. One thing that could be traumatic to one person might not be to another, And this is also across age groups. Something that is very traumatic to a five-year-old is certainly not going to be as traumatic to a 35-year-old. So just because we might not be able to locate a precise experience or moment of trauma doesn't mean that we might not be trauma processing or processing a really intense, painful experience that may have changed our worldview. And just because it doesn't look, quote unquote, as bad as someone else's trauma 
doesn't mean that it isn't very real and something that our bodies are moving through. When I was deep in the throes of complex trauma processing, processing childhood sexual abuse and grief and total loss of my family or community, I absolutely had large swaths of my life that felt kind of mired in numbness, dissociation, lack of motivation. It very often didn't look like the kind of movie or classic experience of PTSD because I think the the lesser known story about trauma processing is that so much of it is spent in dissociation or numbness that it might not on the outside really look like anything is going on. But we might spend months or years of our lives feeling like time is just passing us by, feeling kind of numb to sensation or emotion and not really finding a lot of pleasure or aliveness. So just to reiterate, one potential message that depression may be trying to tell us is that we're actually in the throes of processing past trauma, unhealed trauma. Second and very much related message of depression is that we might be experiencing nervous system overwhelm, dysregulation, burnout, or depression as a signal from our bodies that we need to rest. If we think about the kind of literal definition of depress, right? When we don't feel motivated, when we feel so fatigued that we can barely get up out of bed, when we feel like the life force has been drained out of us, we might have cultural societal expectations that this is not normal, that this is not okay, that we need to get our energy back. And we may be at a point in life where we may not feel like it's acceptable or appropriate or even possible to rest. However, the body doesn't stop the signals of the body from telling us, hey, it's time. And we may not feel like it's appropriate to spend hours, days, months in this kind of fatigue. But again, I think that that is really our nervous system telling us that there is something going on. Maybe we have been working ourselves to the bone for years and our body is saying, we can't do this anymore. We may, when we think about the kind of different nervous system responses, right? fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. We may have spent years in fight or flee, which requires a ton of energy. And we might finally be at a breaking point in terms of our body, moving into either freeze or a different kind of flight in terms of dissociation. And while it might be more culturally acceptable to be on one end of nervous system dysregulation, of being in constant motion or dissociating in a socially acceptable way by getting a lot of work done, it comes at a cost. And one of the ways that my body personally would respond to this is by actually freezing or what's called uh, catatonia, which is where your body can't move at all for extended periods of time. For me, it was all the way up to about 45 minutes where I could barely even blink an eyeball or move my fingers. This is, again, can be a response to trauma processing, but very much was a signal from my nervous system 
that we can't do this anymore. There is too much stimulation, too much to handle. And it's almost like a like the breaker system of the body, right? To just completely go into total fatigue, maybe even catatonia, even numbness or dissociation, I think is part of this breaker system of the body, just complete shutdown. And while we might be tempted to consider this totally abnormal, there's something wrong with us, this needs to be fixed. And while it can certainly be incredibly distressing, I personally have taken this as a quite wise signal from my body that something needed to change, that I was using too much energy, burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, and needed to rest. And there are many different types of rest. It's not to say that we just quite simply need sleep, not at all. We might need rest in a very particular way, a break from doing certain types of emotional labor or cognitive mental emotional overload or the need to take a break from healing work or shadow work or many other different things. So again, just this idea that one potential message of depression is a signal from our nervous system that we need to rest that there's too much stimulus going on. A third potential message of depression, also quite related, is actually that there might be something biologically, physiologically going on. Often when we think of depression, again, we might think of the chemical imbalance theory that there's something wrong with our brains, but our brains are not the only organs in our bodies. We have so many other interconnected physiological systems that neurochemistry is a tiny fraction or portion of. And actually, depression has been much more highly correlated with things like systemic inflammation, which can include brain inflammation, hormonal imbalances, autoimmune disorders. There are so many other ways that our body might be interacting and responding to our environment and giving us depression as a signal. And on that note, when we get into kind of functional medicine, and I have a whole episode or interview with Dr. Randall Gates on the physiological roots of mental health, which includes how autoimmunity and childhood trauma are interrelated, but also he talks a lot about other autoimmune issues and depression in particular. This is episode 49 of this podcast. When we take a more functional medicine approach, we can understand depression as both a symptom and a cause. So functional medicine kind of states one symptom as the result of many multiple factors, multiple causes, but also for any one cause that we can think of that can result in many or multiple symptoms. So again, it can be a feedback loop. Depression in and of itself that maybe initially was the result of a big life transition or something in our environment can then result in physiological issues, but also physiological issues that we may pick up from genetics, environment, stress, a whole host of different things might lead to symptoms of depression or things that get labeled as depression like fatigue, lack of motivation, numbness, despair, all of that. So especially if depression is chronic or ongoing, we might want to look 
at biological or physiological roots, far more than just brain chemistry. For me and for other folks who may have taken birth control or do take birth control, one aspect of my story has been intense depression and even feelings of suicidality as a result of being on the wrong form of birth control actually was a more acute period of depression in my life was when I had switched from one form of birth control to another that caused a whole host of issues, most notably depression. And the minute that I went off of that birth control started to feel better. So while that certainly is not the root of depression for everyone, it is absolutely something that can be more in public awareness in terms of the ways that our bodies interact with things that get labeled as mental health issues. Another potential message of depression is understanding depression as an existential or values crisis. I would say, honestly, with the clients that I see now, but also the clients that I've seen when I worked in the mental health system, it's quite rare that I see someone who's struggling with symptoms of depression or grief, despair, emptiness, meaninglessness, who wouldn't consider themselves in a big transition in life. Often the transition between what they thought their life should be or their role or who they thought they should be, transitioning to the idea that maybe life or they themselves might be quite different than they had anticipated. And I think this is where we can really get into some of the actual gifts of depression is that it can certainly show us, especially when we might experience this as an existential crisis, it can really show us where old, outdated beliefs, roles, stories about ourselves or life or the world are no longer working. Actually, in Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, where he sets out in writing this book to have interviews with experts from around the world about what depression actually is. What he finds is that one of the root causes of depression is a values misalignment. So what he and the researchers that he interviews particularly says about this is that sometimes our personal values deeply conflict with cultural values. And often, especially in the Western world, our cultural values, things like materialism or hyper-productivity or hyper-independence or things like this, really are at odds with some of our deepest personal needs. And one theory or idea is that depression can be a result of not just living out of integrity or making choices that aren't in alignment with our values, but more broadly, that there are times where we may not have the opportunity to make these choices aligned with our values because of our cultural context and or that we just subconsciously pick up these cultural values instead of deeply reflecting or thinking about what our values are. And the theory in terms of depression is that when we have misaligned values or when we have what researcher Tim Kasser describes as junk values or 
things like materialism, hyperproductivity, all of this. We actually are not getting our basic needs met, our needs for connection and authenticity and belonging. I have a whole episode on this if you are really interested in this particular topic. It's episode 30 of this podcast. But the message here in depression, which I have gotten quite often throughout my life and have really learned to listen to much sooner, is that depression has often been a signal that I'm in the midst of some readjustments when it comes to how I think about myself, the roles that I've been assigned culturally, societally, or within my family, and that some part of me, some broader belief system that I had or story needs to fall away for something else to emerge that I might not be living in my integrity. I might have made choices that led me to abandon myself for a perceived sake of love, belonging, connection. And to put it more blunt, I think often when we go through an existential crisis or a values crisis, we look around and say, holy crap, my community is not actually aligned with who I am. The people in my life, my friendships don't feel right, don't feel good anymore. My job or the role or the skill set that I worked hard at building actually doesn't really feel good to be in or isn't meaningful to me. Or perhaps more acutely, our perception of ourselves, identity, who I am, that is going through a massive realignment. And I think this is actually also particularly where the medicalization of depression can get tricky because, again, I don't think it's inherently a bad thing that we might use or rely on pharmaceuticals to support us during these times. But what does get really tricky is that we might stay stuck much longer in a job that doesn't fit, a community that doesn't fit, trying to maintain the status quo and using psychiatric or psychological treatments or techniques that are meant to help us be okay with that status quo, when in the end, maybe, maybe depression is what's telling us that something desperately needs to shift. Another message or signal of depression is that our needs are not being met. And this might again be needs that I mentioned earlier that might come up in values misalignments in terms of our needs for authenticity or connection, this kind of need to get much deeper in trust in touch with who we are or our identity. But honestly, depression could quite simply be a sign that our very basic fundamental human needs and rights are not being met, that something in our environment needs to change. And I think this is something that traditional views of depression or psychiatry and psychology in general are now coming around to, but for many decades, really quite ignored the fact that often people are experiencing immense pain and suffering because they are unhoused, don't have access to adequate food or shelter, don't have access to communities are in crippling debt or poverty, are estranged from their family, are struggling with systemic issues that are solvable 
but not solvable by personal and individual or clinical means. This is why you'll hear a lot of activists say housing justice is mental health care. Policy change is mental health care. There are so many things that we try to address with clinical or individual means that are actually deeply rooted systemic issues that are keeping people from having their basic fundamental needs taken care of. So if any of these other messages of depression didn't resonate with you, maybe this one does. Maybe that there is something in our environment that desperately needs to shift, in our society that desperately needs to shift, which brings me to message number six, is that perhaps one of the messages of depression is that we are living within a toxic culture or society. Again, there are elements of our lives that we can shift or change when we notice you know, a values misalignment, when we notice that maybe we are experiencing burnout and need to rest or experiencing trauma. There are things that we have a level of control over. And then there are aspects where I think depression might be kind of a harbinger of the need for societal change, cultural change. It kind of reminds me of the Jim Carrey quote, before you diagnose yourself with depression, make sure that you're not just indeed surrounded by assholes. (laughs) Kind of similarly, make sure that you're not internalizing depression as solely an individual problem that is actually a very valid response to the society or the culture that we're living in. Again, I talked about this a bit at the beginning, but I don't think it's a wonder why so many more people are not just being diagnosed with depression, but fall under the criteria of depression, clinical depression, according to the DSM, because all of these aforementioned potential messages of depression, including trauma, burnout, nervous system overwhelm, underlying hormonal or autoimmune issues, existential crises, and values misalignments, our needs not being met. All of these things are more broadly signals that we're living in a society or a culture that can be traumatic, that can be deeply stressful and impact us in huge ways. Mental health issues are not individual. We are beings who are living in a cultural context that is not conducive for healing and transformation. Does that mean that healing and transformation isn't possible? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we should give up and experience hopelessness or despair? It's just society. It's not me and there's nothing I can do about it. No, absolutely not. But I think there's a lot of meaning that we can find in understanding that we respond to our environment, to our society and our culture. And one aspect that I think depression can also be generative in a way is by showing us how we may desire to contribute to shifting or changing our broader culture. And lastly, another message or signal of depression that I've seen with clients and that I've experienced is depression as a sign of a spiritual awakening. Or there are other terms for this if the word spiritual doesn't resonate with you, a dark night of the soul or a existential crisis. In essence, experiences life transitions where we can no longer maintain the old sense of self. Our identity shifts, our way of being in the world deeply shifts. 
where we become open to vastly new and different dimensions of what it means to be human and to live in this world. Perhaps we become open to a deeper, greater level of awareness. We start feeling and experiencing the aliveness in all things. Maybe this happens through meditation or communion with plants or the natural world. Maybe this is through plant medicine or maybe it's through having a values crisis and going through the process of building a life that's more in alignment with what you value. Maybe it's through a huge crisis and a dissolution of everything that you thought you may have known. Maybe it's a series of horrifying life transitions that then lead you into a deeper, greater sense of self or awareness. There are so many ways that spiritual awakenings can happen, but they very often occur and coincide with depression. Whoever told us the story that spiritual awakenings are lovely and light and fluffy and just frolicking through the forest with a new level of awareness. That is absolutely not how I've ever seen (laughs) spiritual awakenings coming to fore. It's really often either before, during, or after bouts of extreme emptiness, despair, dread, numbness, mourning, at the very least, mourning who you thought you were and coming into a totally different way of being. So spiritual awakenings can be, again, a potential gift that comes out of or through periods of depression where we start to interact with ourselves and people in the world quite differently. And there may be many, many more, many other messages that depression has for us. But ultimately the point here is that there is no single root of depression and that how we come to understand why we are experiencing this or what comes out of this experience for us is crucial. Like how we tell our story of and around depression is crucial to our identity. So If you feel stuck in a way of understanding depression that doesn't feel helpful or that doesn't feel like it encompasses your true experience, I always encourage people to expand their definition, their understanding, or the meaning that they're making behind these experiences because there is not just one answer. Again, I think our bodies are wise and I trust my body to tell me what's needed. I don't listen to the story that my mind might create around it because, for example, we may have the story that if we're feeling depressed or despair or emptiness or numbness or lack of motivation, it means that there's something wrong with us, pathological, this is not normal, that this is not helpful, that we must escape it, get rid of it, quell it, fix it, numb it, suppress it. We might have all kinds of stories around why we're experiencing this or what that means about us. But the sensations themselves, the emotions and the sensations themselves, in my experience, always leave clues. They leave clues for us and hold a certain wisdom. I find a lot of comfort, again, in knowing on a deep level that these are human experiences that people have been having forever and that there may be something that this experience is asking of me. So now it doesn't take a huge long bout 
of grief or despair or emptiness or dread or meaninglessness because of course I experience these things now from time to time but every time a little semblance of it comes up for me while it can still be surprising deeply painful deeply challenging I know that it's a signal to tune in to listen deeper and that something is asking to change or shift and that when I'm with that experience when I can be with myself in it and now often rather quickly transforms. One of the things I often used to do, especially with depression, with some of my clients when I worked in the mental health system was gather all these quotes, all these frameworks or experiences, beliefs, opinions about the actual experience of depression from artists, activists, leaders, psychologists, writers, all kinds of people from across all kinds of backgrounds to ask people which ones resonate with you the most because no one else can tell you what this experience means to you. No one else can or should hand you your definition of depression or tell you what you need to do with it or to move through it. And my biggest hope for us when it comes to any kind of mental health concern at large, is that we have many, many ways of understanding these experiences. So the question that I'll pose here at the end for you is that what does or has this experience meant to you? If you're someone who's experienced any of the things that get labeled as depression, how have you come to understand it? What's the meaning that it's held for you? And what has that meaning showed you in terms of how you've moved through it or how you've been with yourself when you're in it. I am so grateful to you for being here. If you want to spend more time together, I have session openings for holistic counseling, breathwork, and energy work sessions. You can find all the information about those sessions on my website, jasminerussell.com, and it would completely make my day or probably my year if you left me a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you really liked, how it supported you, and what you're thinking about it. So if you have a question for me or you want to let me know what topics you want to hear more of on this podcast, send me an email and let me know. Until next time.